champ pierre il se passe par chaud Oh c'est pas un cas quand champ pierre Le tsunini de champ pierre il se passe par chaud Et champ pierre il By St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways, one passion food truck. Located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, as always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. In a little while, we're going to talk about the cancel culture and the fact that we really go out of our way to try to destroy people. Now, a lot of it, we could say that these people have done to themselves but how often are we hypocritical when we're talking about second chances? Yet, we say, hey, somebody says something or somebody does something and they don't deserve a second chance. Not only should they be terminated from their employment of whatever job that they have, but they should be eliminated from ever having a job again. And you know, that's been a hot issue on this show. I'm happy to be live. So anybody that wants to chime in when it comes to that, I'm anxious to hear about your opinions and how you feel about it. I'm going to talk about the best winning percentages in each one of the major sports. And I'm going to throw college basketball in there because you think about a certain coach that's active right now and a percentage of games that he's winning. We'll talk about that. I want to start with the NBA Hall of Fame. And one thing we know about the Basketball Hall of Fame is this, is that it is probably as watered down as any Hall of Fame in sports. And you've heard about it before. You think about the, you know, how baseball basically goes out of its way to keep somebody out of the Hall of Fame. Basketball is all about inclusion. And from the late Drazen Petrovic, who only played a couple years. And the reason I bring up Drazen Petrovic is because if you look at Jose Fernandez, you know, sad and tragic the way he passed away. Same with <coughs> Drazen Petrovic. Same with Reggie Lewis, by the way. I mean, if Drazen Petrovic is in a Hall of Fame, why not more of a consideration for late Reggie Lewis? But as, as you think about it from this perspective, basketball seems to go out of its way to bring the extra people into the Hall of Fame. Maybe people, players, coaches, executives, those associated with the game that did something but may not have done so much. And you think of the class or the finalists that are set up as we speak right now. And of course, there are players, coaches that were good at what they did, but probably don't deserve the rightful consideration. And for those that don't know the exact list, um, I'll run over some of the names that are in there if I could get my computer to work. Chris Bosch, Paul Pierce. I think Paul Pierce is probably the only lock at this point. Now, I'll be honest, I, I don't know enough about the uh, WNBA players. Now, you know, seven time All Star, two time Olympic gold medalist, Yolanda Griffith. Odds are. She has enough of a track record to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And in fact, the the WNBA players, there are actually just two WNBA players and one WNBA coach. Hey, if you want to put them all in the Hall of Fame, that's fine. But I'm not going to act like I'm an expert when it comes to the WNBA and studying their players and knowing their history. I, I know 
enough to talk about it, but I don't know enough to go crazy and say, hey, this person's a Hall of Famer, and that's not a Hall of Famer. Anybody that gets selected in that regard, I'm in favor of. But, you know, Chris Botch, you can think about his career ending a little bit early, but during the prime of his career, he was very good. You know, certainly when he before he ended up joining the Miami Heat, he was a solid player. And obviously winning the two NBA championships with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, you know, the way the NBA's Hall of Fame is set up and the fact that it is kind of overloaded, Vlade Divac, Bill Fitch, amongst others, are not really Hall of Famers in regards to their track record and what they did and what they accomplished, but they're in. And once you open the door like that, then I don't think we're going to have a problem with Chris Bosh getting in easy. Michael Cooper, who was probably like the fifth or sixth best player on the Lakers teams in the 1980s. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but the watered-down version of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame may allow for him to get in. And I'm going to say probably something that's a little bit controversial here. Bill Russell is one of the greatest players in the history of the National Basketball Association. He absolutely is. To me, you can't talk about best basketball players and not put him in the top five. Forget about big man. Forget about the differences in scoring and the three-point shot and, uh, you know, the differences between a LeBron and a Michael and a Chamberlain and a Russell and a Kareem. Forget about all that. You can't name a top five if you're being 100% objective and not have Bill Russell in it. Bill Russell is one of the best basketball players to ever live. He always has been and he always will be. That being said, I'm not putting Bill Russell in a Hall of Fame as a head coach. There's no reason to do that. Bill Russell won two championships as a head coach of the Boston Celtics after winning nine more as a player. Those were Red Arbox teams. It's not that Bill Russell did a bad job as a head coach, but we're going to start putting every head coach in the National Basketball Association that won two NBA championships in. Is Eric Spolstra a Hall of Fame NBA coach? I don't think so. You know, we, we look at we look at basketball, and trust me, I'm, I'm all about inclusion. I understand the impact that Bill Russell had being the first black NBA head coach. And once again, that's the fault of society. That's the fault of every sports league for not thinking that a black man could be a coach in any capacity in any sport. So, yes, we acknowledge Bill Russell for being the first, just like we acknowledge uh, Frank Robinson for being the first manager in Major League Baseball history that was of African-American descent. Yeah, and we, and we honor Fritz Pollard for being the first black head coach. We also honor Art Shell for being the first black head coach in the National Football League in what, 67 or 68 years? But we're not gonna put Art Shell in the Hall of Fame because he broke a barrier. Frank Robinson is in the Baseball Hall of Fame as a player. For as great of a player as he was, he was one of the best offensive position players that the game has ever seen. That's why he's in a Baseball Hall of Fame. He's not in a Baseball Hall of Fame because he was the first black manager. In fact, he's not in a Baseball Hall of Fame at all because he was a manager. He was decent. He didn't stand out. He never won a World Series championship. And the same you could say about Bill Russell. 
Bill Russell won two NBA championships basically off the teams that he led on the court. Red Arbach was the coach. You know, Casey Jones, Sam Jones, Dave Cowens. You know, the list goes on of the great players that were on those teams. And that was the reason that they won an NBA championship. It wasn't because Bill Russell took over and changed the culture and made the team any better than it was. So it's, I know we're in a, a society where it's sacrilegious to God forbid say something bad about Bill Russell. And it's not even putting him down. It's just that he wasn't an all-time NBA basketball coach. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody has any issue if Bill Russell is in a Hall of Fame as a coach either. Let's be serious. Yes, there's a handful of players that are in as a player and as a coach, which is a little weird. You know, does it do anything more for the record of Bill Russell if you put him in the NBA Hall of Fame as a, as a head coach? He goes up there and he gives a speech and he he thanks the, the NBA for putting him in the Hall of Fame again. It, to me, it's not another accolade that you put on the guy's list of like, wow, you know what? He, he is better. He's better now because he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's in a Hall of Fame. In, he would be in a Hall of Fame as a coach because of what he did. Because the fact that he was the first black head coach in NBA history. Once again, Frank Robinson isn't in the Baseball Hall of Fame again because he was the first black manager. Yeah, Art Shell isn't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a coach. I look back at the rest of this list, and there's a lot to be desired. Let's be serious. Rick Adelman, as a head coach, was decent. Never won an NBA championship. You talk about him as an innovator. And once again, I like to tie the Hall of Fames together. A lot of people don't like when I do that. They say, oh, man, it's, it's different in basketball than it is in football or than it is in baseball. But it's all the same type of honor, right? The same honor to give credit for the best that the game has ever seen. It's a ring of honor, but it's a, a, an elongated one to represent the history of an individual sport. I don't look at Rick Adelman and think that he's an all-time NBA head coach, but I make the comparisons to Don Coryell, and I think there's more of a case for Don Coryell to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he has not gotten enough traction. John Madden, when he was inducted, gave the speech and the endorsement for Don Coryell, one of the innovators of the offense that you see in the National Football League today. And if you want to say Rick Adelman had something along that line in his coaching style, something that you've seen in the game today and many coaches are kind of doing the same thing, I, I don't mind it. But I don't, once again, I don't look at Rick Adelman and say, wow, you know, that's an all-time head coach. I don't hear his name and I don't say, why is he not in the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame? And Michael Cooper, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. Michael Cooper was a good complimentary player. He was. And you look at those Lakers teams. I mean, obviously, you know, in the 80s, it was the end of Kareem's run. Well, actually, Kareem was, was still part of it. And I'm thinking of the, the end of the 80s when Kareem was kind of near the end. But, you know, you're thinking of Kareem and Magic and James Worthy and, 
you know, Byron Scott. And there's a lot of other role players. And one of those role players was Michael Cooper. Michael Cooper played good defense. He was a five-time NBA all-defensive first-teamer. There's no question about it. But I'm not looking at Michael Cooper and say, wow, that guy is missing in the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. Like I said, to me, outside of the, the women, you want to put Yolanda Griffin in there? You want to put Lauren Jackson in there? You want to put um, Marianne Stanley in there? I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I'm not going to debate their case one, one way or the other. But on this list, the only sure thing Hall of Famer is Paul Pierce. There's nobody else in this category that makes you think of a Hall of Famer. And to me, when you when you think of a Hall of Famer, and this is in any sport, it, it comes down to this. That person's name is thrown out there, and you either know they're a Hall of Famer or you don't. And if you don't have an answer right off the bat, then they're likely not a Hall of Famer. And that's what it comes down to. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication or reproduction of these, the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLALLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I do want to preview the show I'm going to do on Saturday. If you're a big fan of fantasy sports, particularly fantasy baseball, I'm going to do a good fantasy baseball preview. I'm going to break down a, a lot of players. I'm not going to talk about the obvious ones, but I will bring up a couple star-type players that there may be some doubt in whether or not you believe in them or don't believe in them. Because we all know the names. You get past the first, second, third, fourth round of a baseball draft, and you start seeing guys that are still on the board, and you ask yourself the question, is it worth it to draft this player? And you say, hey, somebody who used to be a second or a third round talent is available in the eighth or ninth round. Are they there for a reason because they're no longer the same type of player? Or are they worth taking a chance at at such a low risk that you're going to get a high reward for? We'll break that down. And then some other players I'm going to put in that you really may want to consider drafting higher than you normally would. And... There's a couple that are overrated. So we'll talk about that Saturday. I'm looking forward to a solid fantasy baseball show right here on the PBS. As always, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So I was thinking about the coach of Gonzaga. As you see the undefeated Gonzaga team, probably if they don't win, a national championship, it's going to be looked at as a disappointment. I mean, this is a team that's been on the rise since the mid to late 90s. They are a perennial tournament team year in and year out, but they've never won the big one. They've never won themselves a championship. They have graduated to a point where they're no longer considered a mid-major since they, even though they do play in a mid-major conference, they're considered an absolute power. They've been the number one team in the NCAA all season long. Their coach, Mark Few, has the highest winning percentage in the history of college basketball. He took over in 2000. He's got an 834 winning percentage. Now, if you want to knock it, if you want to take a shot against it, you could talk about the fact that Gonzaga is probably guaranteed 18 to 20 wins every season. 
not counting their non-conference schedule. They're going to win the majority of the games they have within their conference and are likely to win their conference. There's a difference, though, between barely surviving and winning the 20 games because you got a set of weak competition and being the number one team in the country without a loss. They've had a couple strong wins this year. They've played teams outside of their conference. And they're trying to do something that we haven't seen in the NCAA in a long time, and that's an undefeated national champion. So those are all things that we could look forward to as we get ready for March Madness. We didn't have it last year. So certainly the field of 64, we call it the field of 68 now, is, is going to be fun. I think there's going to be more tension drawn to it than in years past because we went a year without it. I think the gamblers are going to you know, do what they normally do, and that's make a ton of money off of this. But I was thinking of the top winning percentages of all time in each individual sport. And since we're talking about college basketball, I'll, I'll throw some names out there. Mark Few, like I said, with an 834 winning percentage, is the highest in the history of of college basketball. Sam Burton has got a 833 winning percentage. Claire B with a 824 winning percentage. And then two well-known absolute legends when it comes to coaching, Adolph Rupp with a 822 winning percentage and John Wooden with a 804 winning percentage. You're talking about five coaches in the NCAA when it comes to men's college basketball that won over 80% of their games. So how does that apply to other sports? What other sports allow for teams to have such high winning percentages, but also to have winning per- winning percentages that are, are they close to 80%? Is that crazy to ask for? Now, one thing I want to look at when it comes to football is I don't see a head coach up here. Just give me one second as I try to put his name in. Once again, one of my weakest strengths is doing more than one thing at one time. So hold on. There you go. We got it. So Bill Belichick basically year in and year out as the head coach of the New England Patriots, is winning 10 or more games, getting into the postseason, winning six Super Bowls. And, of course, the Pats went 7-9 and nine last year. When you're factoring in Bill Belichick in his career, you have to talk about his time with the Cleveland Browns, where it was 6-10, 7-9, 7-9 winning playoff season. And in his last year, they were 5-11. and 11. Took over to Patriots the first year he was there. They were 5-11 and 11. last year, like I just said. We're seven and nine. He's got a 673 winning percentage. Now, if you factored in just his time in New England, if he never coached a game in Cleveland with the Browns, his winning percentage would be 726. And that would be good enough to be fourth all time in the National Football League history amongst head coaches. So number five is a little bit of a surprise. Guy that didn't coach for that long. A guy that's getting ridiculed as we speak as the head football coach at the University of Michigan, and that's Jim Harbaugh. 695 winning percentage, 44-19-1. Number four, George Allen, longtime coach of the Washington Redskins and the Rams. 
712 winning percentage, 116, 47, and 5. Number three, once we get the decorations back on the walls in the studio, it's going to be a guy that has a plaque in the studio, and that's the legendary Vince Lombardi. You think of Vince Lombardi when you think of winning, one of the most dominant and prolific and well-known professional sports head coaches in the history of sports. 738 winning percentage, 96, 34, and 6. John Madden, another coach that didn't coach that long, was done coaching before he hit the age of 40. 759 winning percentage, 103, 32, and 7. And for those that don't know, the coach in the history of the National Football League with the highest winning percentage in the history of the sport is none other than Guy Chamberlain. And Guy Chamberlain had a 784 winning percentage, was 58, 16, and 7. Now, John Madden was done coaching by the time he was 42, so I apologize for that. 1978 was his last year, and of course, you know, he went into broadcasting and you know, built up the legendary career there in a video game and just one of the legends in the history of pro football, regardless of what you talk about. Innovator, pioneer, coach. You know, you, it's hard It's hard to not think of John Madden as just one of the ultimate pioneers in the history of the National Football League. So for those of you that don't know anything about Guy Chamberlain, Guy Chamberlain was an end and a wingback, one of the two-way players in the NFL, played early, but also was a coach for a total of six seasons. Had two undefeated seasons as the head football coach of the Canton Bulldogs. And if you think about it, you, know, you have two 1,000 winning percentages, one 875 winning percentage, and a 14 one and two, so a 933 winning percentage. Yeah, the winning percentage is going to be pretty high. And I look at Guy Chamberlain, and he was a solid head coach, four time NFL champion in six years as a coach, lost a total of 16 games, seven of whom were in his last season as a football coach in 1927, is a Hall of Famer. But an amazing 784 winning percentage. But you think the average probably sticks to around the mid to low 700s or 70-something percent. So I think of the NHL and Tom Johnson has a 738 winning percentage. And you're like, who the hell is Tom Johnson? And he's another Guy Chamberlain, if you think about it. Guy Chamberlain didn't coach in the NFL for that long with Tom Johnson. The same thing you could say. Did not coach in the National Hockey League for that long. Was there from 71 to 73. He passed away in 2007. Only coached in the NHL for three years. But this team's won 73% of the possible points that they could have gotten. And the reason I point that out is because there's nobody else in NHL history that's even close to that. Now you want to say, hey, that's not enough games. He only coached 200. I'm okay with that. And then we talk about the legendary Scotty Bowman, his 657 winning percentage. John Cooper, who we know coached up through 2020, right? 
Actually, he's still coaching right now. So obviously, look like an idiot. Yeah, the, the longtime Tampa Bay head coach won the Stanley Cup last year, and it has a six fifty one winning percentage. Second, really, only to Scotty Bowman. And if you want to talk about Tom Johnson in his three years, he could talk about that too. Claude Rule has a six forty eight winning percentage. And you look at his time, he passed away in 2015. You're talking about five years, pretty similar to Tom Johnson. Not there for very long, won a Stanley Cup early, and his teams won the majority of the games that he was the head coach. Bruce Boudreaux, uh, another relatively active head coach. Actually, I got him and Cooper mixed up. Boudreaux stopped coaching last year. His last year in Minnesota was 19-20. And you look at his time in Washington, in Anaheim, and in Minnesota. Never really stood out. Didn't win a Stanley Cup. But his teams won the majority of the games that he coached. And then, of course, you could talk about the legendary Toe Blake, who I've mentioned on this show before, one of the greatest head coaches in the history of the National Hockey League. We lost him in 1995. He was the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens from 1955 to 1968. And his teams won a total of eight Stanley Cups. And he had a 634 winning percentage. So moving on to the NBA. And I'll count this down from five to one. And you'll find it pretty interesting. Because there's probably two head coaches, maybe three of them, that I could have guessed that could have been in the top 10, let alone the top five. But the, the coach that has the highest winning percentage and the fifth highest winning percentage are two big surprises. We'll start with number five, and that's Larry Bird. Larry Bird only coached a couple seasons in the NBA, but led his teams to a 687 winning percentage. Billy Cunningham is number four. Billy Cunningham had a very good career was the, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, was the Philadelphia 76ers head coach from 1978 to 1985. And his teams won an NBA championship. They were uh, in the NBA finals two, two other times. The 76ers in the late 70s and the early 80s, very underrated. You think of all, you know, the Lakers and Celtics, and it's it, you think of how good the Philadelphia 76ers were with Dr. J and obviously Moses Malone, Maurice Cheeks, John Lucas, really good teams there. And their team year in and year out won a lot of games. So Billy Cunningham, 698 winning percentage. Phil Jackson is number three. Nobody's going to be shocked about Phil Jackson, the dominance he had in Chicago, and then the fact that his teams, you know, very, very seldom lost a game when he was with the Lakers. He basically took over two dynasties at just the right time and led those teams to many, many championships. The three-peat, he did it three times, almost did it a fourth time, 11, excuse me, 11-time NBA champion head coach. Number two. You have to think about it a little bit, but it doesn't come as much of a surprise. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr with the Golden State Warriors and winning all those championships in such a short period of time. 
even getting to the finals and losing a couple times. Obviously, it takes a, a dominant regular season year in and year out when you have the players that you have. But Steve Kerr sitting there in spite of a losing season last year and a team that probably needs a little work if it wants to get back to the top of the Western Conference. You hear that they're going to be active around the NBA trading deadline. There's Steve Kerr, number two, 709 winning percentage. Number one in the NBA. And I'd give you five guesses. And unless you unless you were told it already, unless you already knew it already, you'd be shocked to know that Nick Nurse, the head basketball coach of the Toronto Raptors, has the highest winning percentage in the history of the NBA when it comes to head coaches. Remember when Dwayne Casey was fired, Nick Nurse was promoted as an assistant? He's been there three years, and his teams have had uh, over 700 winning percentage in the first two seasons. The team actually has a losing record right now. So this is why I find it pretty fascinating. First two seasons, yes, he's number one all time. You throw in a 17 and 19 that they are right now, and he's dropping out of the top five. So he's going from 721 in two seasons to dropping below Larry Bird, below a handful of other head coaches. And if the Raptors do have a losing season, he will probably be very hard for him to get back in the top five when it comes to all time. Now, we did college basketball. We did the NBA. We did the NFL. We did NHL. Now we'll talk about Major League Baseball. And there's one guy that I wanted to bring up. He's not going to be in the top five. But I was thinking about Casey Stengel because Casey Stengel is the prime example of the manager or in other sports you could see head coach that was just as good as the team that he was given. In other words, if he got good players, if he got great players, those teams were going to win championships. Look at the Yankees from 1949 to 1960. You give an average players, you're going to get average results. That's what happened in Brooklyn from 34 to 36 and Boston from 39 to 43. Good players, not great. Mediocre results. And then of course, if you get horrible players like he did with the Mets from 62 to 65, George Weiss goes out there and says, hey, I want this to be about star power. I want fans to come into the stands because of the players' names on the back of their jersey as opposed to how good the team is. I want fans to want to see Gil Hodges and Duke Snyder and Yogi Berra and uh, you know whoever else they tried to throw together towards the end of their career. When you had horrible players or players that were outside of the twilight of their career, you're going to get horrible results if you're a Casey Stengel. Casey Stengel's winning percentage as a manager in the New York Yankees was 623. And that would rank number one all time if he had just managed the Yankees. Baseball is tough because you play so many games and it's hard to have a dominant team year in and year out. You have a 500 record, your winning percentage takes a hit. So you got five managers that are on this list. Like I said, none of them had as high of a winning percentage as Casey Stengel did when he was the manager in the New York Yankees. And the reason I say this is because a couple of them have managed a short period of time with one team. So one team hires you, you do great with them, and all of a sudden you're looked at as, from a winning percentage standpoint, one of the best to ever do it. First one, number five, Charlie Comiskey. 
Charlie Comiskey, obviously known for his role in the 1919 Black Sox scandal. And for, for those that aren't following me, Charlie Comiskey, without him kind of representing what it was like to be an owner of a baseball team at that time and how the owners treated the players at that time. You know, and he wasn't the only one. So you can't say that Charlie Comiskey, the way he was acting was so different than the rest of the owners and the rest of the sport. The teams own the players. And somebody may not like me to use the word own, but it was uh, that that was the a description of the reserve clause and how it applied to players in baseball at that time. Obviously, well before the game became integrated. So you talk about deeper issues that lied within the sport. But the players were controlled and bound by the reserve clause and were only going to be paid what the owner decided to pay them. The owner had control over that player. There was no such thing as free agency. There was no such thing as getting out of a contract. If a player was unhappy being part of a particular team or a particular franchise, they could walk away and never play again. If they were requested, if they requested and were granted a trade, that was different. But if a team didn't want to trade them, they weren't going to trade them. And that player had a choice. If he wanted to receive what was a little, a, a small salary at the time, they would have to show up and play baseball or they could go do something else for a living. Charlie Comiskey as a manager, it's pretty good. You're talking about his time in 1883, he was a player manager for the entirety of his career. Later on, ends up becoming the owner, of course, of the Chicago White Sox, like I said. But some good teams with the St. Louis Browns of the 1880s and the American Association. You know, not so well with the Reds. Less than a 500 winning percentage. But it's pretty much with the St. Louis Browns and the American Association. A 674 winning percentage with them for a 608 winning percentage total. Number four. It's another old-time manager. And his name is Jim Muttry. And he passed away in 1938. He was the manager of the old New York Giants before John McGraw. And led his Giants teams to a 605 winning percentage. Was also the manager of the American Association 1884 pennant winning New York Metropolitans. He had a six. 11 winning percentage, which is good enough to rank fourth all time. Number three was the manager of the 2020 World Series champion, Los Angeles Dodgers. And that, of course, is Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts took over for Don Manningly after the 2015 season. And uh, they've done nothing but win there. They've had the best record in baseball a handful of seasons. They're guaranteed a trip to the playoffs every year. Dave Roberts has been the manager. You shouldn't be surprised that Dave Roberts ranks number three when it comes to winning percentage of all time. Joe McCarthy. Now, we talk about Casey Stengel. We say, hey, how would it have been if Casey Stengel had spent all or the majority of his time as the manager of the New York Yankees? Well, you saw it. With Joe McCarthy, 627 winning percentage in 16 seasons. In my opinion, the greatest New York Yankees teams of all time. 
we're talking about the 1930s, late 1930s, early 1940s with DiMaggio. And, uh, you know, you, you get a ton, a ton of wins over the course of that time. Now, you can debate what Yankee teams were better, Casey's or Joe McCarthy's. I think it's interesting enough. He was good with the Cubs. He led the team to an NL pennant in 1929, 390 win seasons, never had a losing season with them. And then managed the Boston Red Sox at 48 and 49 without a losing season. So you're talking about a guy that was a manager for 24 seasons in the major league. And one thing that stands out about him, he never had a losing season. Stepped inside in 1946 when he, he kind of had enough. Maybe it was a problem with management. Maybe it wasn't. It was a little bit of the transition that he was going to have to go through as far as uh, the team needing a little more talented players and they ended up getting that and winning the World Series in 1947 with Bucky Harris and, of course, Stengel and the dynasty afterwards. Joe McCarthy's 615 winning percentage. So we talk about the New York Yankees this year and a guy that we certainly wish well. He just had a pacemaker put in. Um, as a, a great personality, it's great to hear him talk. And he's doing a very good job for the New York Yankees right now, and that's Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone's managed the Yankees for three seasons. Obviously, it's nowhere near the amount of time that Joe McCarthy's been there. Certainly not even in the category of Dave Roberts yet. You're talking about a guy with three seasons as a manager, 33-27 and 27 Yankees last year. We're a little bit disappointing. 550 winning percentage, but the first two years, the Yankees won 100 games both seasons. They probably have the best team in the American League, one of the top two. I think it's them and the White Sox. That's their league to win, but we're talking about regular season, so five teams in the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. Aaron Boone, just like Nick Nurse. Now, Nick Nurse actively, we don't want to count seasons that haven't been finished. The Toronto Raptors have a losing record right now. Nick Nurse is going to drop, after, drop out of the top five when it comes to the top head coaches in regards to winning percentage in the history of the National Basketball Association. Tom Johnson, you know, Guy Chamberlain, guys that didn't coach for that long, do they deserve to be spoken upon amongst the greats of all time? And I think winning percentage is interesting. You could say, hey, you need 1,000 games or 500 games or 300 games. But what about the ones that just barely passed the barrier? What about the ones that are still amongst the list when you're talking about two, three, four thousand games? And obviously, you know, three, four thousand is an exaggeration. Last thing we're going to hit up today is once again the, the controversial point when it comes to the basketball show. And I spent a lot of time talking about cancel culture. And I spent a lot of time talking about the need. The need to make a change in the way that we treat each other. And we've taken a large and huge step when it comes to it. We, we, we're better to each other than we've ever been. We acknowledge every single time somebody does something wrong, says something, you know, out of, you know, we, we look at it and we say, hey, that's deplorable what that person could have said. Whether it's racist, whether it's anti-Semitic whether it's against women. We, we've stood up against it and we don't want to tolerate that type of behavior. But my question all along when it comes to this, if somebody says something that they shouldn't say and is held accountable for it, do they deserve to lose their job? Now, 
we talk about teams in sports because this is a sports show and we always bring up the fact that the teams have to operate as a business the public the general public the fans the those that support the team have a big stakehold in the team if teams stop showing up i'm sorry player if uh, fans stop showing up to games which we expect in the year of 2021 to be a lot more fans in stands. But if something happened and fans decide, hey, they're not going to come to games anymore because they don't like what the coach said or they don't like what an executive said or they don't like the way a player acted or, you know, whether they were sexist, racist or anti-Semitic. I understand that there has to be some sort of accountability to these people that say the things they do, do the things they do. But should that person never work again? And that's a hard no. I, I think if a person does lose their job, they shouldn't be blackballed for getting employment for another team. You heard me talk last week about the coach at Creighton, Greg McDermott. Now, he said something he absolutely shouldn't have said. It was insulting. It was insensitive. It was basically, it should be condemned by just about anybody. I don't know what he was thinking when it was going through his mind. He decides to come up with that and makes that analogy about the plantation. There's no excuse for it. Should he lose his job for saying that? Once again, who comes out looking like the biggest adults here? It's the kids. The kids throw their support towards the head coach. The head coach is that good of a person that he has embedded within the players that play for him the respect and the players want him to coach that team. To me, that should be enough. You know, I don't want to hear about media outlets, you know, the Brandon Tierney's of the world saying that the guy should be fired. They went through their investigation. They realized that there was no pattern of racist behavior by the head coach. The players love him. The players want him to be their head coach. It should be cut and dry. But we think every time the name goes in the bubble and boils and goes to the top that, oh, he's involved in a scandal. Fire him. Get rid of him. Fire him. That's what people want. That makes people feel better about themselves if somebody else loses their job. Basically ignorant to the fact that each situation should be managed individually. There's accountability here when it comes to Greg McDermott and the fact that he owned up to it. He offered to resign. He said, hey, if, if the players don't want me around because of what I said, I'll step aside. He didn't even hardball it. He admitted that he made a terrible mistake. He admitted that what he said he shouldn't have said. But once again, the investigation proved that that statement, the mention of the plantation was not indicative of the person. But once again, in the general public, we just want to fire him. Fire him, eliminate him from the workforce. Don't ever get a job again. That's what the general public wants. You hear about it in New York City, and like I said, I'm the furthest thing from a political person. I hate politics. I've said all along that the two domestic terrorist groups that exist in the United States of America are called Republicans and Democrats. But Governor Cuomo, hey, a, a woman claims to be sexually harassed he denies it does he have the right to deny it is there a possibility that it might not be true 
oh my god there's two there's three there maybe there's four people that said that that they didn't like something he said over the course of an experience with them we're not talking about sexual assault we're not talking about anything that is deeper than that but once again cancel culture resign 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 fire him fire him he should lose his job and never get another job again remember every time you say that as a general public that means you're just jealous of somebody that is in a higher position and has more of a name to themselves than you and you want to see that person go down because it makes you feel better about yourself now once again you, you talk about the allegations against former Mets manager Mickey Calloway you know current Angels pitching coach is on a, a leave of absence or suspended whatever um, they haven't come up to, with a decision of whether they're going to keep him around or not there's a fine line there too he's admitting to multiple infidelities so is that warrant termination does that mean that you should lose your job does that mean on top of it you should lose your job and never get a chance to have another job again you think of jared porter who worked his way up to be the general manager of the new york mets he ends up obviously having that experience where he he doesn't let that girl go he keeps sending her text messages and apparently there was a dick pic involved now did he deserve to lose his job absolutely any organization that has somebody in such a high position that has a story go out there about him right when they hired him that that's the only course of action that could have been recommended for that that being said should jared porter never work in major league baseball again that's another hard nut i mean i would want to hear an apology i would want to hear something sincere but we continue to talk about how somebody could serve time in prison for 10 years and we allow them back into the workforce and then we applaud them for how they changed their lives and it changed the lives of others we don't want to do that when it's people in the spotlight if somebody has a name for them we want to bury them we want to stick them in the ground we don't want them to ever have an opportunity to work again and i think that's wrong and you know i'm going to continue to talk about how i feel like it is something that does need to be changed cancel culture as it exists should apply in specific instances don imus deserved to lose his job for what he said the late don imus it was right there he said it it was something that was deplorable something that was should not have been spoken about it's something that insulted you know a very good women's college basketball team at Rutgers and it's some attention that they absolutely did not need for him to just make a stupid comment like that that was warranted for him to lose his job should he have worked again he did he got another job there wasn't a bunch of people standing on the outside of the studios where he was broadcasting for after he was let go from CBS saying that Don Imus should be fired that he should be banned from the airwaves but we want to do that we want to do that to governor cuomo we want to do that to coach mcdermott we want to do that to mickey calloway we want to do that to jared porter listen are we talking about the best of people probably not as i've said all along when there's smoke there's fire allegations like this aren't completely made up because there's nothing involved 
But if some somebody has the right to deny it, somebody has the right to defend themselves, somebody has the right, if it comes down to it, to defend themselves in a court of law. If you're found guilty, it's one thing. If you've spoken something, like Greg McDermott did, he said it in front of his team. And let's be real. You know, the, the reason we know to name Terrence Wrencher is because he's the assistant on the staff that, number one, is trying to get Greg McDermott's job as head coach. And number two, he wants to be the next Jesse Jackson. And there's times where we talk about what's right and what's wrong. And another thing that's wrong is race bait. And Terrence Wrencher, in this instance, where there's a situation that happened, the coach apologized, the coach offered to resign, the students and the players stood behind him. And Terrence Wrencher made it about him, made it about his future in politics or the fact that he wants to throw the coach under the bus so he can get his job. And I have no respect for Terrence Wrencher. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Pastor Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Was talking about the NBA Hall of Fame. Paul Pierce, to me, is a Hall of Famer. And I think of it when it comes to sports, that should be the definition of a Hall of Famer. Derek Cheater, Hall of Famer. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, Hall of Famer. Yarmir Yager, Hall of Famer. You you hear the name and you're like, dude, it was one of the best that ever did. I don't see that when it comes to basketball. Rick Adelman is not a Hall of Fame coach. I'm sorry. Don Coryell, I think, is more of a Hall of Fame coach in the National Football League than Rick Adelman is in the NBA. Bill Russell, he's already in the Hall of Fame. And he wasn't a dominant coach. Like I said, you want to celebrate the fact that he was the first black coach in the history of the National Basketball Association? That's great. But Art Shell ain't in the Hall of Fame in football because of because he was the first black head coach in whatever, 67 or 68 years. Frank Robinson wasn't in the Baseball Hall of Fame again because he was the first black manager in the history of sport. So the precedence in other sports has not been set. Bill Russell... All-time great, all-time great player, all-time great human. You could say was one of the best players that's living right now in all of sports. He's not a Hall of Fame head coach. Broke down winning percentage, highest winning percentages in a, in a history of all sports. I'm going to put them up on my JohnPielli.com website. And, of course, cancel the cancel culture. Like I said, stay tuned for the show next week, uh, Saturday. I'm sorry. Two days from now, we're going to do a good fantasy baseball preview, break down some solid players that you might have in your mind, but might have to resist the urge to draft them in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. What players have you heard a lot about that may be a little too much if you draft them too early, right? Pretty interesting to to figure out. Uh, Looking forward to that show on Saturday. So I hope you guys enjoy your couple hours, couple days. Check out Passball Show, available on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, YouTube. God bless you. And as always, I see you on the other side.